Ask him anything. Our auto expert, Nick Miles, has an answer. Direct message your questions at our auto expert on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Our auto expert, Nick Miles. Locally created, nationally celebrated from the northwest to the southeast. This is the World's Car Radio Show. If it has a throttle, we'll feature it on air, online, on smartphone, or on that pesky little smart speaker that sits in the corner of your living room. This is our auto expert, where two million Americans get their automotive news daily. I'm your host, Nick Miles, along with automatic, very well-oiled, and very well-lubricated Auto Andy. It's me, everyone. How are you? I found cars to drive. Did you? Um, You're also struggling with technology today, aren't you? I don't. With, when there when when there's extra letters at the end of the of USB, it just turns into English class. Like, is there a USX now? USBX? USWRSG. Yeah, I don't. It just it's like math, you know. Like, why do we need letters and stuff? Yeah. Two A minus three B is still going to be five or negative one. <laughs> Wherever you put the B, it doesn't um, matter. I went into uh, to pick up some uh, stuff from the store the other day. Yeah, what'd you get? And uh, I just got things. I don't need to know what they were. All right. And I was outclassed by the person behind the counter. What, did you get out-Britished? Yeah, no, not out-British, but, um, like, I'm... When I... Smartphones, they're smart because they're smarter than all of us. Typically. Typically. And um, I had to pull up some codes on my phone to get the discount. Oh, Considerable right. discount. Yeah. Just to let you know, it took the item down from $1,400 to $25. What? <laughs> yeah, it was a considerable discount. So um, it was basically giving it to me for free. You don't need and algebra for that. No, it was like, I'm getting this. And uh, I went in, and of course, you have to jump through hoops when you get that many discounts. So I went in, and uh, they said, oh, nah, you're spending a lot of money in here. And I said, no, no, I'm not actually, because I have a discount coupon that brings it down to $25. And they were like, oh, okay, so can I see the coupon? And um, I was like, oh, wait, and they sent it to me here, and i got to go here. And they were like, oh, I'll, I'll give you a hand. And they just got, they sort of stood behind me on the phone and went, pip, 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 pip. And I was like, what did you just do? And they they had never seen the coupon before. They never knew how to do it. But it was like, I go away. You're, yeah, what are you doing? Yeah, you're too intelligent. Get out of my life. Well, why you didn't do that in the first place? Yeah. It's the same thing when you sit next to a race car driver. I'm like, I know how to drive a car. Not this good. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> um, impressive. I know, I guess it's just skill level, right? I'm always impressed. You're always impressed when I back a big truck into a parking space in Home Depot. I don't get it. No. You're not supposed to put big things like that in such a little area. Oh, shush. No, I mean, like, because especially backing up. Yeah. Because then you're, my, like, the line of visibility decreases from 100 to this is what you're going to get percent. <laughs> that sounds like math that you don't understand. Yeah, all math is like that. Yeah. So it's just, I don't, maybe it's the geometry part of it. I just don't know the angles and which sitch you could put a big thing into such a small area. So the new vehicles, like, it, and it's a whole funny story that goes behind this, but like BMWs and Mercedes and Volkswagen, all these guys are putting new systems in their vehicle where they pres- presume that one spouse is stupider than the other. 
I'm not. I have. That was rude. One spouse is not as skilled a driver as the other. I still. Or one partner. I should say partner because that's more equitable. Is that Walker? That's Walker. One partner is more Walker. No, one partner is more (laughs) skilled than the other. That's the Walker way of saying it. Um, What did the kid at Starbucks say this morning? Oh, a bop? Yeah, what bops are you into? Sir. (laughs) Are we back in the 60s? And he was like 12. What bops are you into right now? I can't. Um, Anyway, so one partner is more skilled than the other in driving. And let me explain that. They have systems in their car now. So imagine you live in a high rise, Mm. in a condo. All right. And, or as we would say, in a block of flats in England. Oh my goodness. And you have underground parking and those spaces are tight. Yeah. And you can get the car in or your spouse can or your partner can get the car in, but you can't. It's too tight. So what they have designed is one person can get the car in and they record themselves doing it by pressing a little record button in it. So you Mm -hmm. drive into the garage and you record the last few feet. So let's just say when you get onto the floor you want to get onto, you hit record and then you drive into your space, your numbered space where you park every day. Then when your spouse does it, from the point that recording starts, the car says, oh, I know what to do from here on in. Could be anywhere in the parking lot, from entering the parking lot to, you know, the right floor. And it says, hey, I know how to do it from here. You can get out the car in some circumstances and the car will just drive itself into the space. See ya, bye. You don't even have to be in the car. You have to be so many feet from it, like 20 feet. I've seen you do that. Right. It'll do everything. It'll do the rest of the journey itself. Because one spouse can park it. One partner can park it. The other one can't. That's beautiful. It it is if somebody can't make it in. Or maybe it's your child or your mother or father or your aunt or uncle who lives with you can't park it. But you can. Um, And so what it does is it levels the playing field. For everybody, especially in places like Europe and Asia where the parking spaces are no more than a noodle in size. They're (sighs) tiny. Yeah. Yeah, you might get a motorbike in it. So So. newer cars are making it easier for worse drivers. Yeah. Well, that's been the way for a long time, right? You can pay less attention now because the car does a lot more. Is that why I'm NASCAR-level driving? (laughs) That's why you nod off occasionally and the car just goes... Yeah. Yeah. Wake up. Most yeah. cars have a good way of jolting you up. They say, hey, you Stop. can't see your eyes. I'm not riding with you ever again. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, they're, they're all the very modern cars have this attention thing. Your attention is, I have this trouble, a real problem, when we go with these car companies to these beautiful places. I just went to Montana with the, J, um, with the Grand Wagoneer and the Wagoneer L, which is the long version. And I've been to Montana before, but it's not it's been a while. And you forget how beautiful Montana is. A big open countryside and cows and ranches and rolling hills and mountains and it's just getting about leaf changing time now, so it's starting to get orangey and little brown and orangey. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at the mountains while driving these curvy roads and I'm like, you know how they have the um the braille on the side of the road? 
<laughs> so, ah, yeah, the braille. So if you wander out of the lane, it tells you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's got, I'm I'm like. Oh, sorry. Oh, whoops, sorry. And Jason, my camera guy, I think he was just like it was his first trip with me. So uh, he was just like a little bit. Ooh, hi, how are you? Yeah, wow, this guy gets cars, huh? I just uh, he he came to film for the um, you know with me, and he was just like never been on a trip before. Cause, yeah, that's what I mean. Like this guy, uh, Nick Miles, professional yeah, driver, yeah, professional. <laughs> reads braille. Yeah, well, I can read braille too. Road braille, we call that. <laughs> road. It's an it's whoever came up with road braille was clever. I think it's just one word and it's all in capitals and it just yells at you. Is get up off the road, sir. This that, side. That's not one word, but okay. Hey. Yeah, that's that what one. It does. Hey. <laughs> now it was wise. There's a few really clever road inventions. Cat eyes was the other one. Huh? No, I don't know what you call them in this country. We in England they were invented. Cat eyes. Oh. The little um, little uh, reflectors in the middle of the road that when your lights hit them they shine light back mm. on you. Nowadays they don't really have them. Yeah. But. It was invented in World War II um, because we weren't, well, the British weren't allowed to have lights in their cars um, because they, they didn't want the, uh, the enemy planes being able to see cars on the street. And they didn't want to know where traffic was, so they didn't want them to drop their bombs on the traffic. Mm. So the they had headlight covers going over the headlights to made a little slit, so it just put enough light on the road so you could see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and all street lights were blacked out at night because it was a, it was the blackout. That's why they called it the blackout. So yeah. the planes would fly over and cities were completely black. And um, so they had these cat eyes, and the cat eyes would reflect a car's light back to the car so they knew where the center of the road was. So you would just drive to the right or the left of the cat eye. Super clever. That is clever. Yeah. And so now that's how the modern reflector was born. At the back of cars have reflectors. In the center of the road, on the side of the road, they Uh have those reflector materials. But they were originally called cat eyes. Because you know when you shine a, a flashlight at a cat, its eyes reflect back? Yeah. And in photographs, you get it as red. Mm-hmm. Well, they were invented around that cat eyes. That's what they were called. I feel educated today. Yeah, well, that's the only time you're going to be educated on this show, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> coming up, we're going to have a, your top five. We're going to talk about the CX-50, um, the MX-30 a little bit. Um, we're also going to talk to Christine Overstreet. Um, she was made famous recently in a Forbes magazine article about heels and wheels. Um, that's where a lot of ladies get together. We don't really know what happens. Cars are involved. I'm sure wine is involved. Yeah. Um, she's going to. It's kind of a. It's a sorority thing, I think. Um, yeah, the article's pretty cheeky. Yeah, I've never been invited. So I wonder why, Nick? I offered to uh, adorn heels, pumps, wig the whole thing but christine seems to think that's not appropriate so we'll find out all mm. about that if you think he's an automotive intellectual you should try his spicy peanut butter chicken our auto expert nick miles all right a lot of people ask us car questions you can feel free all the time our autoexpert.com you can hear the past shows you can see automotive videos and read insider car stories about your next ride also ask us those car questions this is where two million Americans get their automotive news daily. You'll find it all at ourautoexpert.com. All right, Automatic Andy, you've uh, put your backside inside some cars over the last few weeks. 
How are the seats? Uh, did they suffer? Yeah. No, they did. They did? They really did. Because yeah. I really, really rode on them. You know what I mean? <laughs> I may or may not have ridden them a little too much because it was the week of Mazda. So I had a lot of Mazda going on right oh. now. So, Nick, I was in the Mazda MX-30, yeah, which is the electric one. Did you know that? <laughs> so, first of all, Nick, I love the style of the car. It looks like a super fast turtle. Yeah. And I'm impressed with Mazda's first electric vehicle. And they Wait must a second. have. I've never seen a super fast turtle. Well, now, now the MX-30 is one. Okay. It's Nick, it looks like a turtle. And and I'll, I'll tie that in later. Watch. I'm about to get cheeky with oh. it. Um, and they must have cheated because they got it right the first time, straight out of the gate, Nick. It is in a little bit of a disadvantage because it's going up some heavy hitters the Chevy Bolt, the, the Tesla Model 3, and your Ford Mustang Mach-E. Oh. So I'm not quite sure I would get this over the Mach-E, but the Mach-E doesn't look like a turtle either. So uh, I have a few things I really like about it. The first one being the exterior styling because Mazda really threw a curveball here, and I like it. It's a little polarizing because all the stuff I read online, I mean, you either hate it or you love it, and I love it because the turtle thing is just it's killing me and okay. i really like it didn't know you were that into turtles but all right it was my it was my mom's spirit animal oh. so i got i dove deep Ooh. in it i even you know i got her one of those turtles online that you can follow online it's probably fake but um yeah 300 other people bought one too <laughs> yeah, the same one exactly uh even though it's a mazda it doesn't even look like a mazda it doesn't look like anything else on the road except that, for a turtle is that bad or good like um people who love mazdas love the way they look they they have all these Japanese designs, special spirit. I mean, they are their own spirit animal, Mazda. I mean, if you if it was driving towards you like someone was trying to run you over, then yes, it looks like a Mazda. <laughs> but if you just if you like if you're just casually looking at it, no, it looks like a turtle. It's not the Mazda driver, I imagine, but okay. Yeah, the front fascia is sure to impress because it's got those LED headlights, headlights and the LED daytime running ones. Okay. And the rear is even more interesting because that's where we get all turtley. Uh, additionally, the MX-30's compact exterior dimensions make it a great city car. Yeah. Uh, I loved going all... It, it's super, like, zippy, too, so I could go... I could take a turn way better than I could, like, in a truck. Okay. I like the a very affordable price tag. It only starts at 33 it's one of the more affordable EVs on the market, but the kind of the dichotomy to that is it only has, you know, 100 plus miles on the range, which right. is fine. That's whatever. Um, you do get, if there's available tax credits left and other benefits, then, you know, it even makes it cheaper than that. So that really puts it in an advantage to the competition. The speedy charge time gives you more time for tacos. The MX-30 can charge from empty to 80% in 40 minutes if you use a fast charger. That's way faster than most other EVs on the market, making it a great choice for people who have to get back on that concrete jungle quickly. However, uh, the fast charging is also due to the short range, so it's kind of a little bit of a trade-off, but I'm okay with that. Um, it means you'll need to charge more often for long-distance travel, but that just, like I said, that makes more times for those birria tacos. It's cool with me. It's one of the lightest EVs. The MX-30 weighs in just over 3,000 pounds. That's one of the lightest EVs on the market. Mm -hmm. The MX-30 is only slightly heavier than the Nissan Leaf, Leaf making it very, handle way gooder. Its weight is due to the use of lighter materials like aluminum and high-strength steel in the body construction, and the result being that the car is both strong and lightweight, just like me. 
The lightweight also helps the MX-30 achieve better fuel economy, so you can try and just squeeze out a few more of the MPGEs, Nick. MPGEs, got it. Uh, my last favorite thing about it is the comfy interior is made from a sustainable stuff, Nick. Like the, the seats and things are made from trash and way to make trash into treasure. You know what I mean? So the Mazda MX-30 interior is just as comfortable, as stylish as the exterior, in my opinion. One of oh. the things that immediately stands out when you get in the MX-30 is how well it's put together. Yeah. Uh, for me, test numero uno starts as soon as I sit in the car. Like that's the first thing I'm looking at. And, we, and a lot of the cars when I get in it, you can hear the creaks. The wines, the stirs, the you can almost hear the cheapness of the material. But in this, I immediately judged it, and I thought it was going to be cheap, but it's not. It was solid. Nothing moved. Huh. It was very, very solid. The car didn't even move when I got in. Nice. It was great. Uh, the seats are upholstered in recycled materials, and the dash and door panels are made from plant-based fibers, Nick. Even the headliner is made from recycled plastic bottles, which ties me in... To the turtles. Oh. Save the turtles, Nick. Save the turtles. You, did, were you on the cliffhanger? Yeah, I was, because I was really struggling with turtle association problems. And here it is, because it's sus sustainable stuff. They made trash into something awesome. Yeah, so uh, bottles in the ocean, no more. Turtles saved. Looks like a turtle made from things that hurt turtles. I mean, not only are you getting the most, one of the most affordable, one of the quickest, one of the most nimble, agile, a, a fast turtle-looking car, yeah. and you get to save the turtles. Turtle, the turtle. The cabin inside, though, is very quiet and comfortable, and the infotainment is easy to use. The MX-30 is a great example of how an EV can be just as luxurious as a traditional petrol-powered car. You said petrol. Yeah, isn't that gas? Yeah, that's how the British got to you, isn't it? I'm yeah, say petrol. You're rubbing off on me. I haven't said a vowel properly in a month. You should wash more often. So yeah, I probably should. So Nick, do you think I'm going to give this the stamp? Yeah, it sounds like it. Throw yeah, the ink pad at it. <laughs> Throw the ink pad at it, Nick. Wow. Get one for every. I mean, could you imagine coming home to a fleet of 100 mile range turtles? Yeah, that's great. That's I fantastic. They, they probably swim further than that. Not without uh, like a snack. No, oh, yeah. They probably do snack. I mean, this is the closest to, like, an Autobot we're really going to get yeah. unless Optimus Prime comes out. Yeah, you're right. So I, I really dig the MX-30. I'm okay with the 100-mile range. I know people are looking at that with their eyebrow up, but hey, honestly... I'm, I'm driving that Mini SE right now, um, Electric Mini. That's got a 112-mile range, and I love every second of that. That's yeah, fine. Yeah. Find us. Follow us. Direct message your questions or comments. At Our Auto Expert on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our Auto Expert, Nick Miles. Welcome back to Our Auto Expert radio show. It's, uh, of course, your favorite radio show in the whole wide world. My name is Nick Miles, and I am your host of Our Auto Expert radio show. We're here every single week uh, with Automatic Andy and, of course, myself. Um, wanted to uh, delve into a few things this show. We wanted to talk a little bit about uh, a couple of things which have sort of been uh, coming up. Um, we've been talking about people buying and selling their vehicles. And I had a bunch of phone calls this week. Um, uh, people have been asking how to uh, sell their car, buy car, new cars. Andy's sort of involved in this too. He's getting close to the lease being up 
if he thinks it's a lease, we're not quite sure. I'm, I'm pretty sure. You're pretty sure it's a lease? Pretty sure it's a lease. It's a 2017 Hyundai Accent. 17? 17. 17 Hyundai Accent. And uh, you, of course, you're going to have to buy another car because you always have to have a car um, to carry insurance. Uh, so you're going to have to start again, I guess, at least another car. That's always the hard one. I don't understand the whole process. I don't get it. I thought I was buying it. No. So, well, we have to see the contract. But leasing is basically like renting the car, and then you get to buy it at the end if you want it for a discount, or you go again. Leasing is good for people who change their cars every three years because you really just pay what the car is going to devalue. You don't pay any more than that. You only pay for what the car is going to become, what value it's going to lose. It's horrible. There's a lot to learn about leasing and buying. Buying, you pay a little bit for the car and what it's devaluing, and you pay on the money you're borrowing. Leasing, ultimately what you do is pay interest on the money, and you pay what the car is losing in value. So What? Yeah. Well, then I'm getting a Lamborghini. Well, then it loses a lot of money, so you're paying a lot of money. I mean, if I'm not going to buy it, it's so, a loss. So, honestly, if you were going to go get a Lamborghini, you'd be talking somewhere around 5000 a month. No, thank yeah? you. All right. Absolutely not. At least. And then insurance, probably mm. be at the same. Ugh. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh-uh. Yeah. Maybe rethink that one. Yeah, maybe I'll get a Fiat. S- the single mom car would yeah. be good. Um, yeah, Fiat's a good cars for uh, for low payments. There was a time when they came out with the electric Fiat. Um, I'm going to guess this was like 15 years ago, mm-hmm. maybe 2006, seven, somewhere around there, that you could get a electric Fiat for $59 a month. What? Yeah, on a lease. That's not bad. I know. <laughs> I'd get that. Gone of those days, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a pretty good one. I can't remember the exact year. I'd have to go back and uh, do the research. But it was probably in the 2000 odd zeros, somewhere around there. Odd. Um, so the question is, you know, what works for your lifestyle? Do you change your car regularly? Um, and then how do you get rid of your other car? So give you some examples. I have a friend whose lease is up. Um, he's had, I think, his his car for a couple of years. And his car um, is a Mini. Um, and he found out what the buyout of the Mini was. So you want to look at, if you have a lease, what the buyout is. And his buyout was around $25,000 to buy the vehicle. And he, I said, do you want to keep it? And he's like, ah, it's a little small. I want to buy something that's a bit bigger. I got a growing family. I've got two kids. You know, they're under seven years of age, but um, you know, they're going to be sort of ten in three years' time. We need something a little bigger. Um, their mini's too small for them in the back row, and going on trips, it kind of gets packed. Um, mm-hmm. And they have the wagon version called the Clubman, but they need a little more room. And so I said, okay, so. Do you want to buy the vehicle? You probably want to look at what the vehicle is worth. And they said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, usually when you lease a vehicle, what they give you as the purchase number ends up being, especially in the pandemic, a lot less than it's actually worth. So what you can buy it for is agreed at the time that you actually do the lease. And what it's actually worth it can be very different three, two, three years down the road. Yeah. 
So he said, oh. So I said, go and see what they're selling for right now. And he went just on the internet and looked at the price. And even though his buyout was around $24,000, $25,000, the vehicles were selling for $35,000 with the same mileage and the same year and the same trim level. So in his area. So that's $10,000 more they're selling for us. So I said, now you realize you have $10,000 equity in that car. So now you actually own $10,000 more and you have the right to buy that car under the contract you signed as the lease, uh, as the leasee. So I said, first of all, you want to buy it. Mm-hmm. And if you can come up with the cash, even if you can't, go borrow the money to buy it because you can flip and sell it um, for more money. Yeah. So he's like, okay, I'm going to do that. And even if you go into a, into a dealer and you say, I'm going to sell it, the dealer will, you know, I'll sell it to you. The dealer wants it because they can't find used cars. And so they'll understand what you're doing. Right. They're going to get a good deal. They're going to offer you six, seven, eight thousand dollars because they can make a couple of grand on it. Right. So, of course, he did that. And the dealers were like, yes, yes please, yes, please, yes, please, yes, please. Yeah. Um, and all the mini dealers want it because they know they can sell. They said, oh, we'll buy it back from you. Yeah, no problem. When you buy another car. They didn't offer him anything for it. They could make 10 grand off of it. Of course they wanted to. So I said, no, 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 no. You've got $10,000 of equity in that. So you want to bargain with that as a bargaining chip. So he's like, oh, cool. And then he went and test drove some new vehicles. So buying another vehicle is then another um, a whole game in that one. And he found, he called me and he said, oh, I've test drove this vehicle that I really like. Um, what do you think? And I said, it was a three-row SUV. It was a couple of years old, three years old. I think, I think it had about 20,000 miles on. I said, you know, they're traditionally good vehicles, but let's go and look at the reports of that vehicle mm. and see that year. Now, there's a lot of places that do customer surveys and reports on those vehicles. So we went and looked at customer surveys and maintenance reports on that year of that vehicle. And out of the seven vehicles in its class, that seven vehicles with three-row mid-size SUVs, it rated the worst. Ooh. It rated more maintenance problems than anything else, the other seven vehicles in its class. Eek. And it rated the most dissatisfied customers. And I said, before you buy it, you need to know this. And they had three of them on the dealer lot the same year. And the dealer was willing to come down in price Almost instantly, I said, no dealer in this market where there is a lot of people looking for cars is willing to come down in price so fast and so easily and willing to give you good money for your car when they're not they're not going to hurt themselves. So if they're willing to do a deal very quickly and come down in price you know that they want that car off of their lot. Yeah, that's bad. So I was like, no, no, no. Look, I want you to be in full understanding before you go in that this has the worst customer satisfaction. He went, uh, yeah, not going there. So you can go to all of these places and look at the vehicle you're considering. And he said, well, what should I buy? I like the size. I like the year. I like the price. So I said, what's your budget? And he's like, my budget is around $35,000. I said, okay. So... Let's look at $30,000 
because it's better to shop slightly lower. Yeah. Because you're always going to find something more expensive. Let's shop slightly lower and and give yourself a $5,000 increase um, and then shop around. So let's look at the two best vehicles in that class. And the two best vehicles in that class are the Honda Pilot. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, there's some luxury vehicles, but traditionally luxury vehicles are more expensive to fix. And when you get vehicles that are three years old, about three years is when things can start going wrong. Mm-hmm. So the Honda Pilot and the Toyota Highlander, mm-hmm. three years yeah, old. So 1990, uh, 2019 is the year he's looking at. And they're about $30,000. Now, those cars, everybody knows, are great rides, three-row, midsize. They're going to be highly sought after. Yeah. But shopping at 30000 gives him the opportunity to go up to 35000 because they're hard to find and you need to start looking outside of where you normally shop now he lives in a large city in the north america so he needs to shop 400 miles outside of where he lives and the easy way to do that is to think about i'm going to spend 400 bucks on a flight to go pick it up and drive it home don't shop outside the mileage um you know look at that vehicle should have no more than 36 thousand miles on it that's twelve thousand miles a year for a 2019 mm-hmm. it should have a clean carfax it should have no accidents you don't want to buy a vehicle that's had an accident you don't know how it was repaired um, all of those things are super super important to make sure that you you do and then make sure you buy it from a reputable place because you don't know whether all of the stat stuff is correct. So you can go online to things like Capital One's Auto Navigator that has reputable dealers in their um, organization. Mm-hmm. You can pre-qualify for financing without pulling a hard pull on your credit. You can find the vehicle from one of their dealers. You can do everything online. You can actually, if you've test driven the vehicle, all you have to, and you know how it feels to you, the one of the regular ones, it'll be the same year when you go out to get that one. You just have to give that a test drive around the block to make sure it's okay. I would suggest buying a three-year maintenance warranty with it. You're done. You've got the vehicle that you want. He's putting the fancy back in pants. Our auto expert, Nick Miles. Oh, over 20,000 people have downloaded our auto expert podcast and many more streamers. Join the happy listeners via iHeartRadio, Pandora app, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. OurAutoExpert.com is where you can find the podcast. Hours of endless fun await you. I'm Nick Miles, along with Slappy Happy Automatic Andy. Uh, this is Our Auto Expert, to where 2 million Americans get their automotive news daily. It's all at Our Auto Expert. All right, lots of news going on this week. VW have their factory in Chattanooga up and running. It's making, amongst other things, the new ID4 all-electric midsize SUV, and it has an impressive story behind it. 120 production sites and 20,000 employees is uh, what the U.S. has working. Uh, two plants in the U.S., uh, $71 billion invested in the U.S. 
US uh, through 2027 is what the company has pledged and uh, first profitable uh, since 2012 in the US uh, is that's VW in total they have invested 4.3 billion dollars in Chattanooga since 2022 uh, up to 2022 um, and they've moved the unemployment rate in Chattanooga to less than 3%. Um, the ID4 is a global platform. VW's invested $52 billion in EVs worldwide, doubling EV sales since last year. Um, 65% of ID4 customers are new to EVs and when uh, they buy an ID4, uh, they say that uh, they are very excited mainly because or one of the reasons is because they get free charging at electrify america what maybe you should think about it nick the all it, none all them things are great for the consumer yeah and you didn't say a million at all every word was a billion yeah there there's that nick do you know how many dollars that is a lot do you know do you know how many snacks that would be no that's enough snacks to fill all the tea ones what's that'll the, ever be made. Uh, what's the average price of a snack? Uh, I'm gonna say two forty nine. Two forty nine. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, two forty nine into a billion. That's a dude. I'm not even carrying no numbers. That's fat snacks. Yeah, that's a lot of snacks. That's a great car. Three years of free juice. Yeah. Free charging. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Go ahead, ID four. Yeah. Um, so I got a really interesting comment from somebody online this week oh come and on he said uh yeah, yeah i'm not buying the id4 i'm getting a maverick um Ooh. and my post actually said you know the id4 american made id4 now and now built in america and he said well it's a piece of something i'm but i'm buying a maverick and i said well great maverick's a good choice great truck absolutely great truck ford did an awesome job with it um but uh it's built in mexico just so you know uh -huh. <laughs> and uh which is nothing wrong with it. I mean, it's part of uh, North America, and uh, oh, yeah. they've worked really hard to make it built in Mexico, and Ford have done a great job with it. And uh, uh, the second part of his comment was, I'd never buy a diesel. And this is sort of the uninformed, you know, pe people that sometimes I have to deal with on the interwebs. And the ID4 is an all-electric car, my friend. But good luck to you. <sighs> Man, that's not just log out. Yeah whatever well this is why we exist to try and help people understand better the things that they don't understand one of the things i don't understand is uh, a dealer lists the 2023 cadillac escalade v uh, at employee pricing which happened to be $254,405 stop stop your mouth right now first of all if i was an employee at cadillac and could <laughs> could afford $254,405 Sign me up as a Cadillac employee. No doubt. I mean, there's, I had, that's a lot. That's my eyebrow hurts from being raised so much. A quarter million for the Cadillac V? Yeah. The Escalante? Yes. Uh, the V, yes. 2023 Cadillac Escalade V, 100,000 over MSR is what this uh, dealer had. The, the worst employee discount that they've ever had probably at any dealership uh, that anybody has ever seen. The car in question was that uh, Escalade V series in crystal white fitted with the 6.2 liter supercharged V8 engine. The uh, four-wheel drive on sale at Crestview Cadillac in Michigan. Uh, the dealer website uh, showed it for sale, listed uh, at the original MSRP of $154,405 and involves the GM uh, 
discount in employee pricing, uh, which brought it to uh, $254,405, which is marked up by $100,000 over recommended retail price. Um, the employee sales strategy, which was launched in two, uh, 2005 by GM before being picked up by, auto, uh, by other automakers, the intention was to offer customers the opportunity to purchase a vehicle at the same discount rate as the company offered its own employees. Fundamentally, it's a basic discount that is intended to make up for uh, similar margins with uh, higher volumes of sales. But seems to have sort of backfired because they added that $100,000 markup. I feel like whoever did that, I hope you step on Legos for the rest of your life. <laughs> uh, I, I understand regional price adjustments because everybody wants these vehicles, but that's a bit rude. And what's going on with Michigan that entitles it to another hundred k? Uh, Michigan's well, cool, but... Listen, everybody puts their prices up. The dealers are running difficult prices, and this is, this is really protecting the dealers here. Okay, I will protect car dealers in saying this. Um, if a car dealer puts an order in, and I ordered a Jeep yesterday, mm. uh, I'm getting the first Jeep Wrangler Willys 4xe off the production line. I'm yeah. honored to be getting that vehicle. I'm paying for it. Um, I am, you know, not, I just was offered the first one. It's not a super special vehicle, but it is super special to me. Um, it's not like the first of um, a, an incredible new something. It's a tri sort of a trim level, but I'm getting the first one. Jeep is waiting up to 180 days for vehicles to come in to stock. Mm -hmm. They're waiting a long time. Production is slow because parts are slow. Demand mm -hmm. is high. And so if you've waited 180 days for a vehicle to arrive on your lot and then suddenly... You sell it to somebody who walks in the door and you sell it for MSRP. And let's say the car is, we'll pick a random number, $70,000. And you sell it to Joe who comes in the door and you sell it for MSRP of $70,000. And he walks out of the, the lot with this brand new car and puts it on the street corner for $95,000 and sells it the next day. That's the car you just waited 180 days for. You advertised it. You marketed it. You had your money tied up in inventory. And he sold it and made $25,000 in 24 hours. How is that fair to the dealer? Capitalism, baby. Well, but then why can't the dealer market up $25,000? How about ten? How How about it's his car. Don't negotiate on his behalf. It's he owns that car. I want a million for my Hyundai. Right. Well, if you can get it, <laughs> capitalism, baby. Good luck. The thrill of the throttle. Our auto expert, Nick Miles. Locally created, nationally celebrated from the northwest to the southeast. This is the World's Car Radio Show. If it has a throttle, we'll feature it on air, online, on smartphone, or on smart speaker. This is our auto expert, where two million Americans get their automotive news daily. I'm your host, Nick Miles, along with Automatic Andy, who is learning a lot every day. There's always something that per, that gets me in the in the head when it comes to cars. <laughs> I don't get it sometimes. That's the education portion of the show. 
Really, isn't it? Yeah, no, you guys you guys understand what I'm saying? Sometimes <laughs> I don't be knowing stuff. You don't be knowing uh, a lot, but we're going to educate you as the show goes on, Andy. I know how to do the oil, <laughs> yeah. the, the dipping part. The dipping part, but I'm, not the changing part. No, I'm really good at the dipping part. Don't try and change the oil in an electric car. You might find it a little bit more challenging than you initially thought. There's no, why is there no oil in it? <laughs> That's a whole show right there. Um, what should be a whole show, but uh, unfortunately is just one segment, is the fact of women are very, very underserved in the automotive industry when it comes to um, buying vehicles and being the way they are served information and the way uh, they are having information served to them when uh, they are really told about vehicles but one woman who is changing that is christine overstreet she puts on a an event called heels and wheels every year it started as something very small and has grown into a fixture on the west coast and she was recently featured in forbes magazine um and she joins us on the phone christine we have been friends for a long time and it's nice to see you get um i would say exposure that has been long overdue well, thank you, Nick. I appreciate that. Yes, finally. <laughs> <laughs> finally, you're uh, getting the pedestal that you should get. Uh, Christine and I take pictures every time we're together um, because Christine is considerably taller than I am and she is gracious enough to come down to my level for the pictures and everybody has a good laugh <laughs> at it. <laughs> um, this every time. Every, every time. time I see you, we get, a, we get one. Uh, women uh, really have buying power that's not recognized. Was that the, the beginning of Heels and Wheels? Um, it was a little bit of that and a little bit of having worked in the industry for a while at that point and seeing um, programs. I do a lot. My work is my day job is doing um, press events for car manufacturers. And I was at these events and just seeing 90%, 95% men probably in the beginning and a very small number of women and the women asking questions and getting eye rolls from the men, but also having conversations with the women of this is crazy. Like we have all this buying power and it's all bottled up and nobody seems to want to open up that bottle and let us like come into our own and ask the questions we want to ask. And you know, have a, the buying experience that we want. I don't want to go to a car dealership and sit in a room that smells like tires and read Road and Track magazine or not necessarily Road and Track, but a man's like golf magazine or, it, I mean, it, it doesn't tailor itself to women whatsoever. I think there's been many studies and, and the numbers uh, are all over the place as far as what women have the power to do. But we know somewhere around 80% of car purchases are only made with the permission of a woman um, or the agreement of the of woman. But there's 52% women in the world. They buy their own cars quite regularly. Um, they make their own decisions quite regularly. And yet they're not the ones that are serviced to uh, on a regular basis. And there are a growing number of voices in the women's community um, for education on cars and this is just one of them and how many women are attending now at Heels and Wheels? Um, I try to still keep it small. I, we have several women that have come that could come back but this year I tried really hard to bring back new bring some new faces in and we had a moment where we had everyone raise their hand as to who was new and about 
65, 70% of the women in the room were new to the program this year. We had about 50 between media and manufacturers representatives, and we had about a dozen cars for the women to drive. And it's just a completely different experience when you're in a room full of women and nobody has any fears of asking any sorts of questions whatsoever. Most of the women that I know in the industry um, who have longevity are very, very strong um, voices. Um, and, but they're, a lot of the women who are quiet and um, not strong voices are often amazing writers, but they don't push themselves forward. And their nature is to be quiet, but yet they're amazing writers. And this probably gives them the opportunity not to have to battle with the men in sort of a scrum to get the information, right? Exactly, 100%. I was having a conversation yesterday with one of the attendees, and she had never been on a press She'd been on a press program, but had never been on my program, sorry. And she was just saying, you know, it was so nice. You get into these conversations with other people. You ask questions in a crowd. You don't think twice about what you're doing because you know no one is going to look at you like you're crazy. But when you look at the reasons that women buy cars versus the reason that men buy cars, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of talk about torque and horsepower and those types of things, it was more like, where am I going to put my handbag? How is my car seat going to fit in here? For someone like me that has no children, I'm looking at other things, but we're still not looking at them through the eyes of a man, yet we have all this buying power, and most of the time women have the last say in what car you get, and a woman looks at it from a functionality standpoint instead of how fast is it going to go. And don't get me wrong, there's some women, I like to go fast. I love to drive fast cars. I don't need a fast car. Right. But, you know, that could be one of the determining factors, but we still look at it functionally. Uh, enjoyment is universal. Um, you know, everybody enjoys a lot of the same things, just sometimes on a different level. Um, I'm very familiar with this concept because I've been doing morning TV for years and morning TV appeals to the whole family. And quite often I use the analogy of um, there is often um, mom getting kids ready for school or dad and mom getting kids ready for school in the morning and the TV is just on in the living room and I have to make them look up at the TV and it's not going to be horsepower and talk that does that. It's going to be, you know, when those Cheerios get spilled all over the back of the car, there is a built-in vacuum that allows you to clean it up in seconds. Or when the dog jumps into the back of the car on the carpet and gets mud everywhere, there's that built-in vacuum to vacuum it up. And those are the life-saving moments in a vehicle that you care about and that mean a lot in your real life versus the, the fact that this car can actually, you know, pull this up a hill twice as fast as the competition. That means only usually something to those people that specifically do that with a vehicle, whereas everybody doesn't want Cheerios on the back of their car. Um, that means right. something to the whole family. And I've, I have always pointed everybody to those things that are practical for the whole family. Um, and it's amazing that some portion of your life, uh, car seats are important. And they're important to grandparents as well, because if they take grandkids for the weekend, you can bet that they're going to be able to want to put car seats in the back of their vehicles. Correct. And I, uh, I always kind of use myself as an example because I'm an anomaly. I have no kids. I've never been married. 
And my situation is a little bit different than most of my friends who are at kids or maybe even grandkids at this point. But I still, when we go away, I have two sets of golf clubs. I have pickleball stuff. I have all this gear because we go on sporting vacations. I want to know that my golf clubs will fit in a car without having to take it all apart. Like, even as a woman, like, taking out the tonneau cover, putting the seats down, like, all of that not being, like, the strength of a man, like, wears on you. So I want to know that I can be, like, loading my clubs, putting the things in, putting my suitcase in, and not having to, like, rip my car apart. For other people... You know, maybe they don't play golf, maybe they don't travel, but it just shows that like every woman is kind of has different needs for different stages of life, but they're just not being catered to in that way. Yeah, and space is something that's universal. How are you helping carry this forward to a new generation of women? Well, it was interesting because typically in the past, we've had a lot of print people that write. And this was the first time that I had more people that were either like on TikTok or Instagram. It was a lot of content and it was eye-opening to me because we typically do these circle drives of, you know, here's a drive loop. You get a little bit of freeway, you get a little bit of twisty, you get a little bit of, you know, go straight. So you're getting a little bit of everything, but literally in like 30 to 40 minutes. Well, this time everyone was like, I need the car longer because I'm doing a video. And I mean, that really is what the world is moving to is these short clips of, you know, attention getting for 10 seconds or 30 seconds. And they're, they needed the time with the cars. But it was great to bring in this new group of women and not even just from the journalist side, but from the manufacturer side, they were in awe. Like, we had no idea this existed. Why haven't we been supporting this for longer? What can we do? How can we help you make this bigger and better? So I always go into this event like super nervous about, you know, maybe some, I mean, because I put it on myself. So it's very nerve wracking of like, is everybody, am I going to be able to make everybody happy? And in the end, when people are saying things like this was amazing and how can we help you? It's like, okay, I need to move this forward. Sometimes my day job really gets in the way, but it's just great to see the women walk away and have such a good feeling about everything. When I think back to like how we used to leave events and the women were like, you know, we'd talk and they'd just say things like, I just didn't want to ask my questions because I didn't know if I was asking it correctly, how the guys wanted to hear it, or I didn't want so-and-so looking at me like I didn't know what I was talking about. But we do know what we're talking about from our perspective. It's just someone else's perspective that's different. How can people get a hold of you, Christine, if they want to find out more? Um, They can email me at my email address, which is Christine, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E, at Overstreet, O-V-E-R, S-T-R-E-E-T-Events.com. Ask him anything. Our auto expert, Nick Miles, has an answer. Direct message your questions at our auto expert on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Our auto expert, Nick Miles. Catch up with previous episodes of this show. You know, it's all here at ourautoexpert.com. You can hear all those past episodes and you can see automotive videos. You can also read insider car stories about your next ride. You can uh, do it where 2 million Americans get their insider car stories at ourautoexpert.com. I'm Nick Miles. Right next to me, my pal, Automatic Andy, who uh, knows a lot about life 
uh, corn dogs, but a little about cars. He thinks uh, manual transmissions have two brakes. Oh, little does he know. It's uh, two clutches. They do, Nick. <laughs> and I do know everything you said was an order. Oh, it was? I know a lot about corn dogs. Oh, you know a lot about corn dogs. I was watching something on TikTok last night that said, what's the subject that you could give a 30 to 40 minute presentation on with no prep time? And I immediately thought Magic the Gathering and corn dogs. <laughs> In Easy. that order. Easy. In that order. Yeah, not We a were problem. talking about dealers earlier on and whether um, they had the right to charge what they want for cars, which I do believe they do. I they, believe, yeah. They, they own those cars. Um, just the same way as you have the right to charge for your Magic the Gathering cards what you wish. Oh, believe that, I do. Um, why aren't you selling them, by the way? Because I have a garage full of your cards. Because that's my little nest egg. Uh, yeah? Yeah. Those things are going... They're way more... The little piece of cardboard is worth more than like their weight in gold. Why don't you cash them in and buy a decent car? I could, I could buy a pretty sweet car with those if I did. How much money do you think you're in tire collection is worth uh six digits like a hundred thousand or like 140 like 999 no, like 140 50 so how much do you think is the sellable portion so you'd have to keep some to play with how how much do you think the cards that you don't play with are worth oh um probably 50 or sixty thousand. so why don't you play with it why don't you sell them because I not like playing them. them. What, are they gonna? Is this like the clothes that you're keeping in your closet that you think you'll be that size one day again? Precisely, <laughs> precisely. Because it's also one of those things like magic is so different. It, when if a new set comes out, that could alter the price for every single car made before that, plus yeah. or minus. You sound like a teenager making a really, really lame argument. Yeah, yeah, I am. Do you have a toolkit in the back of your car? A toolkit? Yeah, like you like know. with a wrench. Yeah, and stuff. I have a Leatherman. Do you know how to do anything on your car? I can dip the oil. Apart from that, do you know how to do anything? Like, Would you know how to, for instance, um, unscrew something and take it off and change it? No. So why do you have a Leatherman in your car? Makes me feel better about uh, the situation. Uh, like your cards make you feel better. Yeah, they yeah. do. So it's all about feelings with you. Yeah, I'm very emotional. Yeah. I like, Nick, I'm a diva. Yeah, you're very emotional, but it does no good. For anybody. Yeah, there you go. All right, you have been... Let's see if this does us any good. Yeah, You've been driving the Mazda CX-50. It does everybody's body good. Okay. Like Cheerios <laughs> and Kellogg's. Let's see if the CX-50 report from our auto experts, Automatic Andy, does our bodies good. So, first of all, Nick, we don't ever get the baseline peasant cars we got the turbo premium plus it was the first model built at the new factory in huntsville alabama with four a's i came out earlier in the year nick but it made a i feel like mazda came out swinging because it, it like we got the cx50 right the the cx5 and then we got immediately after the cx70 and the cx90 hitting us with the one two three boxing combo of awesomeness oh so the CX-50, though, it's it's got the tools to take out the rivals like the Tucson, the Hyundai Tucson, the Nissan Rogue, and the infamous Toyota RAV4. The Tiguan probably, too. That would be in the category, I think, wouldn't it, Nick? Yes. I think it would be. So my favorite things, the CX-50 has got a different ride quality. The Mazda family of SUVs gives us the CX-30, uh, the CX-5, the CX-9, 
uh, or excuse me, 90, um, the 70, all of them, like every number they have. And they all have a smooth ride, but the CX-50 is built for off-roading. So you need to know that prior to getting to one. In my humble three years of driving opinion, this is a fair trade-off for some of the enhanced capabilities that the rivals have. Uh, this car can do everything. Being able to climb over, climb over steep inclines, tackling dirt trails, and splashing through creeks aren't issues. Plus, the CX-50 has a sport mode to make errands fun. Uh, the CX-50 is fun and can do anything. It has a little, bis, a little bit of this and a lot of everything else, Nick. Turn off traction control when it gets more slippery and you can handle yourself better and you won't get yelled at. Uh, and with the turbo, Nick, you can get your Starbucks in record time. Uh, the CX-50, to me, is a showstopper. Many people haven't seen in Mazda SUV with such a distinct and attractive look. People came up to me, Nick, asking if it was a Lexus or a Lamborghini Uwu or whatever it's called. The, that too. Um, what did you call it? Uwu, yeah. yeah. The Lamborghini Uwu. Uh, it looks kind of like it. Um, the thing that I did see that some people were kind of upset about is the disapproval of the tires um, because it's marked as an off-road car and they're not necessarily like the first pick of off-road tires that you would buy. But when I took it through the mean streets of Estacada, it was fine off-roading. It was totally fine. I didn't have any issues at all. Uh, the CX-50 is convenient. It has a super tight turning radius. I was able to U-turn just indefinitely in a circle. I got really confused. Uh, it was really incredibly easy to maneuver around obstacles. Plus, the optional and available 360-degree camera makes sure you don't run over nothing. Um, the CX-50 is a little bit of a bully. Because, like oh. I said earlier, it came out swinging at the competition. It did a little dirty boxing. It absolutely dog walks the RAV4, which I believe is to be the most head-to-head -head competition. Huh. I mean, look at how they unveiled this. You get all the CXs, and then boom, just straight after one, two, three, four, another, another, another. You don't. It, it didn't give it VW or RAV4 a chance, or even the Tucson, a chance to breathe. It kept a pressure on the neck. You know what I mean, Nick? Yeah. So Mazda just came out and said, look at Mazda. This is what we do. Um, do I give it the stamp? Nick, pick up the stamp pad from earlier and give this a double stamp and then throw it at it again because I just feel like I had like a whole almost month of Mazdas and these just really overall, the CX-50 seriously impressed me because it can do, it, it reminds me, it's not quite so black and white, but it reminds me of those cars that you can flip a button and then it's a boat. You know those cars that never really truly came out in the sense that Oh, if you want to go drive through the woods and take it camping, here we go. If you want to go be number one spot in Starbucks line, we can get that going too. And the audio system slaps my face off. Oh. I'd buy it. To get, I'd buy it if it slaps your face off. Yeah, as I soon as you walk that. in. Yeah, the boom. TikTok video. If you think he's an automotive intellectual, you should try his spicy peanut butter chicken. Our auto expert, Nick Miles. This is our Auto Expert Radio Show. Our Auto Experts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can start a conversation with us, ask us a car question, just direct messages at our Auto Expert. It's where 2 million Americans get their automotive news daily. Big news coming in the next couple of months. Uh, signed another big syndication deal for the radio show with uh, the USA Network and with uh, the Talk uh, Radio Network. So, uh, Am I going to have to wear socks now? Yeah, you're going to have to wear pants in the studio too. Man. Uh, there's going to be... Uh, we're gonna be adding more and more stations so more parts of the country will be able to hear us i think uh we got a couple of radio stations in tennessee 
Um, but I have to check whether we have uh, Nashville, Chattanooga. Uh, but I was there this week. I drove from uh, Nashville to Chattanooga. And in uh, Chattanooga is where Volkswagen have their factory, which is now producing their all-electric ID4, which is their SUV, midsize-ish SUV. Um, it depends on how you classify cars now. There are three or four different ways to classify vehicles. Uh, it depends on which one you follow. Do they identify um, differently? Yes, they identify <laughs> differently, just like many other things in our lives. Uh, Mark Gillies is joining us from Volkswagen to talk a little bit about uh, the three days that you had to put up with my uh, my behavior uh, <laughs> over over the last week or so. Did, did you get all your cars back in one piece, Mark? We did. Actually, somebody managed to get back, I think, um, from Nashville to Chattanooga with zero miles remaining, but it transpired they managed to go and take a wrong turn and put more miles on than they needed to. So, yeah, the cars, the cars were all fine. Oh, good. Um, the, only, the, only, the only outrageous thing about your behavior, Nick, was your Union Jack socks, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Those are steady. They're on right now, Mark. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, all the time. That's that's why my I used to wear lots of Union Jack stuff, but it came to be a little bit. Sometimes people took offense to it. So uh, I, I tamed it down a little bit, too. Um, you, it's been triumphs, I think, for VW. Uh, there's been a rocky few years, but recently it's been a lot of great triumphs for you. Um, and the ID4 is the greatest triumph, of course, is you can't make enough of them. Um, and the vehicle itself has met all of the criteria that you hoped it to meet. But you've also invested a lot of money, haven't you, Mark? We have, yeah. We just put another $800 million, um into the factory to build a battery assembly um, plant, basically, and also to build the body in white for the ID4. So in, in the midst of doing that, we've hired another 1,200 people. So we're up to 4,700 employees at the factory. Uh, so it's been a pretty good partnership with, with Tennessee and Chattanooga. Um, I was reminiscing my first ever... Um, trip uh, as a PR person, having been a journalist before, was to Chattanooga in 2011. And I just can't believe how much uh, swankier the place is, you know, the number of great restaurants now and really nice hotels and just the development that's taken place in the past 11 years is, is pretty tremendous. The amount of money that it pumps into an economy isn't just 4,700 jobs, right? It, it's the sort of the other things that happen. Grocery stores open up and uh, pet food stores open up and all these other things that happen because people's lives change in. It sort of revitalizes a whole area and that couldn't be really, uh, there couldn't be more of an exclamation point on that than the fact that the unemployment rate is so reduced now in Chattanooga. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, the other thing is you look at not just, you know, the direct investment we put in, but um, if you look at SK Innovation, they just spent $2.7 bill um, to put a battery uh, factory in, in Commerce, Georgia. And I think we created more than 3,000 U.S. jobs on the supplier side just for this vehicle. So the, the knock-on effect is, is pretty massive, as, as you say, and it's it, it's pretty rewarding, you know, when you actually work for a company that employs people and makes things. It's a, it's a, it's a nice feeling. It was uh, very eye-opening going through the battery portion of your plant. Uh, one of the things that was eye-opening is it's not just... Uh, 
an assembly area or anything like that, the amount of testing that goes in and the amount of unique equipment that you have is not reflected anywhere else in the United States. So, um, you know, you broke records with this sort of concrete that you had to pour and some of that machinery just isn't available anywhere else in the country. And you've saved millions of dollars and millions of man hours in testing uh, by having that equipment on site that would have had to take weeks uh, if you'd had to take the batteries outside of the facility. Yeah, it was actually eye-opening for me because I hadn't been to our uh, battery engineering lab before. Um, and, you know, the thing that was interesting to me is, again, you look at it, and it's another 20, I think it's $22 million of investment. And just one machine alone is, is 7 mil. You know, it's, 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 I always say, you know, I, I always think, you know, Elon Musk was seen to be surprised recently when he, he thought that, you know, factories were money pits. Um, but, you know, they are just immense buildings and just the stuff you have to have in order to be able to make the cars and validate them is also incredibly expensive. I think it's, you know, it's one of those, one of those businesses where you, when you, you don't really understand the scale of the business until you go inside a factory and you see all of those cars going down the line and, you know, the wheels and tires turning up just in time to be put on the car or the right car for the right customer. It, it, it's always, you know, I've, I always get sort of a little bit evangelical about it, but car factories to me have always been fascinating and, and it's always really great to go around, especially nowadays because the amount of automation is is pretty amazing. When you, when you see the number of robots putting a body together, it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty incredible. I, uh, for me, one thing is always quite incredible is listening to the the small little sentences that are tagged on to the end of a presentation. And those are things like, um, remember to keep, we, you know, we have to keep the middle door in the garage always clear so the forklift can, can take any uh, battery that catches fire outside quickly and dump it in the water tank. And you forget, this is a very dangerous job, testing batteries. There's a massive high voltage. There's lots of dangerous chemicals involved. There's a science that, that could be explosive involved. And if anything goes wrong, because you're putting things at extreme temperatures and under extreme pressures, you have to have an evacuation plan. And that sort of is, you don't forget that we have to, everybody in here is trained. And if something goes wrong, we have to be able to make sure everybody's safe. That's the one major thing that has to happen all the time. And so you sort of forget about, yeah, there's huge amounts of voltage and huge amounts of danger here all the time, even though we are sort of doing this on a daily basis. Yeah, I think I think it's a little bit of over-dramatisation there, because I think, um, you know, there's, there's just been some stuff about, um, as a result of Hurricane Ian, you know, allegedly uh, electric vehicles catching light as a result of, you know, water water damage. But I was trying to remind people that actually um, gasoline engine cars are, you know, they they tend they can uh, burst into flames quite quite readily and and do. I mean, you know, there's obviously a lot more gasoline engine cars on the road, but as cars age and deteriorate, um, you can even see that with with gasoline engine cars, and there's always that possibility as well inside yeah, a yeah. battery. But I think I think with the I think with the battery, I mean, in the lab. You know, you're putting them through some real extremes, like dunking them in water for long periods of time. And as you saw, like extreme heat ranges as well, you know, massively cold to massively hot. So you're basically stress testing the componentry because you want to test it beyond what it's going to get in real life. And that's really important. And I think that's the same with, 
you know, it's the same with crash testing as well nowadays. You know, you, you see a cargo um, <laughs> into the offset barrier at 35 mile an hour and you go, I really don't want to have a crash. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, you know the, the dummies survive. So, um, right. you know, I, I, I think, think nowadays, you know, yeah, we, we were just saying, you know, we were commenting at dinner one night. And like, it, it's, you look at everything and you think nowadays cars are so incredibly reliable and safe compared to what they were even 25 years ago. It's amazing. No, I think my point was that you forget they safety is their number one thing there and they always have to be ready. And that was impressive that they think about it all the time. And even when they, uh, the things I was so impressed with is the extremes. I mean, when they opened that cold chamber and that air came out <laughs> to watch the laces crisp up and freeze on your shoes, Mark, was just, I mean, I had to move about 80 feet back because it was unbelievable. I've been to Chicago and Detroit auto shows and thought i was going to die and that was the same feeling it was incredible it was it was so somebody said we should we should do a tiktok i don't know who it was but somebody said we should do a tiktok video of uh using that chamber to cool a six-pack in like milliseconds and yeah. then heat up some hot pockets in milliseconds but yeah. it was i mean i had to move back as well it was really cold yeah. like seriously cold ask him anything our auto expert nick miles has an answer direct message your questions at our auto expert on twitter instagram and facebook our auto expert nick miles our auto expert radio show of course every single week you can listen to the radio show on a podcast version over 20,000 people have downloaded it and many more streamers live join the happy listeners you can go to our website ourautoexpert.com there you can hear happy slappy automatic andy do his uh, shtick every single week and here to do his shtick is uh, anton wallman he's an independent analyst and investor uh, you can read the majority of his uh, stuff at the street and seeking alpha nobody is more educated when it comes to all of the stuff around uh, electric cars, autonomous cars, and the business end of everything that goes on in the United States and Europe when it comes to investing around all of the car companies. So, Anton, let's kick it off with what's going on with Elon Musk and his portion of Twitter and Tesla. Now, he surrenders to the Twitter fight and agrees to uh, close the transaction uh, on the shares uh, with purchasing Twitter. But it's not quite as simple as writing a check is it no because first of all there's this thing called funding secured for which he ended up in great trouble back in august of 2018 when he purported to uh attempt to uh take tesla itself private at the time which as it turns out he didn't have the money to do so he basically had to cancel it almost immediately so that was uh one problem then and that's a problem right now because in surrendering the fight to uh, acquire Twitter, he said that, oh, yeah, I'll pay the full price, but I need three weeks to close. In other words, he needs three weeks to come up with the money. And, of course, some of that money is coming from the banks who are going to give him about $13 billion in debt financing. But the banks have said that, I mean, that money is going to be available. I mean, he could have closed probably already on Monday here. I mean, he could have been closing in a couple of days. They have the money. They can just wire the money and send it over. And then, of course, he has about uh, seven or so billion dollars worth of promises. Uh, unclear how firm they are from other investors, basically a bunch of friends of his who are willing to uh, co-invest with him in Twitter. But uh, it's really, those are not really the problem. The problem 
is the money that he himself uh, essentially has to kick into this deal. And if he actually had the money, he could have been closing on this thing uh, in the next just couple of days, Nick. And he isn't doing it. He says he needs until October 28th. So you have to ask yourself why that is the case. And the reason is very simple. He doesn't have the money. He needs to sell a few more billions of dollars worth of Tesla shares. But you may ask, why doesn't he just turn around and sell them today? Well, he's not allowed to sell them today because he's the CEO of a publicly held company. He can't sell these shares until after the company has reported its third quarter, which it does on the 19th of October. And then I think there's something like a two or three day period after that he can start selling. So that means that probably on the 24th, 25th and 26th of October, he is going to be dumping several billion dollars worth of Tesla stock in order to raise the funds to close the transaction with Twitter, he says, by the 28th of October. That's how it's mechanically going to work. Is the signal to sell now before the price drops? Well, I mean, there are too many um, uh, floating parts here uh, that, uh, you know, this is not just one factor, but if you consider that this is certainly one important factor, uh, you will then uh, have the explanation as to why on Friday, uh, right after this news came out, you may have seen Tesla stock fell by about 6% on Friday. And, uh, you know, the, the reason for that is, I think, pretty clear that people are seeing that this sale must take place here, not next week and not the week thereafter, because he's not not allowed to, but in the a couple of days right before the 28th of October. And people are saying, well, you know, all other things equal, uh, might as well front run that by get it, getting out and, and selling whatever interest I may have had in this company before then. And uh, hence the stock fell on Friday by about 6%. Interesting. All right, let's uh, jump into some of the other stuff that's going on with uh, Elon. Uh, he really uh, had some or inserted himself in between the argument for Taiwan and China this week. Yeah, that too, just out the other day. And the, the most important factor here that you have to understand is that uh, he has, through Tesla, uh, his biggest factor in the world today in China, about half or slightly over half of Tesla's output of cars comes from China. That may not be the case forever after his factories in Austin, Texas, and in Germany fully ramp up, but for now that is the case. So he's extremely dependent for his net worth on output from the Chinese factory being strong and consistent and all of that, and that there be no interruptions in the operations of that factory. And uh, you may then start to conclude that he is very sensitive to whether the Chinese government is going to put up obstacles for him there. Because if the Chinese government wants to, they can certainly shut down that factory for any reason or no reason at all. They can say, oh, my God, there's a little rat that ran under that printing press. And, oh, my God, I mean, that's just, you know, there's COVID here. There's some, uh, there's some permit that wasn't followed or some procedure that was, you know, fell astray of some uh, paragraph somewhere in the law over there in Shanghai. So... They, they certainly could find a hundred different reasons on the average Wednesday to slow down or shut down this factory or outright confiscate it. So uh, now that he's going to become the owner of Twitter, Twitter is, of course, 
to a great extent the public square in terms of free speech and criticisms of various countries such as China. And of course, Twitter is banned in China. But of course, there's a lot of criticism of China that goes on there. And you can put two and two together here and they can say, (laughs) well, he's in a very precarious position. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Um, Let's talk about uh, in the last minute that we have Tesla's deliveries, uh, 344,000 cars that quarter. That's down, right? That's right. So it was about 20,000 below where the, what Wall Street had estimated. And if you add together the third quarter and the second quarter, so you average out two quarters here and compare them to the two previous quarters, namely the last quarter of 2021 and the first quarter of this year, we also find that that um, average is down in the last two quarters. So clearly the growth in the company has slowed considerably. And while it's not really down to zero growth at this point, it's coming very, very close to the point. And uh, that basically begs the question, is there really, uh, has has demand started to slow finally or not? And I think that there's a good case to be made for that. And I think that there are two reasons for that. A, a general decline in the economic conditions. Everybody's uh, pulling in their horns in terms of spending. And secondly, you and I, Nick, know that the number of competitors everywhere in the world, Europe, yeah. North America, and China, is going through the roof, Nick. And those two factors combined is what's causing this. Interesting. We'll, uh, we'll remain to be seen whether Tesla is going to survive uh, in the long term. But uh, I would predict unless they get some new product out there, that's going to be hard for them. Anton Wallman, an independent analyst and investor, read the majority of his stuff at the street. No one has the information like he does on the background of what's going on at Tesla, the autonomous car and electric cars in Europe, the United States and the rest of the world, especially from the business side. You can see, hear and read us at ourautoexpert.com. Our podcast, our radio show. We'll be back next week. Listen to previous episodes of the show. Watch automotive videos. And get the latest inside automotive info at ourautoexpert.com.